When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The Buccaneers came to the shores of Houston looking for some booty, but they got their booties kicked back to Tampa Bay with an L. And we're going to talk about that and more on this Victory Monday edition of The Bullpen. welcome i am james roy this is tom chavarria and we are the bullpen and it is victory monday you heard it in the theme song tank dell touchdown uh, you know that is what we got a lot of today out of tank dell three receivers with over 100 yards cj stroud setting records for rookies like he does because that's just really all he seems to do it is an incredible matchup i, I want to get your take on this D'Amico said in the postgame presser, he said the MVP of the game was Dare Obungawale. We saw the postgame speech in the locker room where he gave the game ball to CJ Stroud. Uh, do you think that if CJ gets like less yards or is less integral to the win, which is basically impossible, but let's assume that he we win the game, but it's like not 470 yards and five touchdowns. Do you think Dare Obungawale has a chance at getting the ball just for making a field goal and being the kicker for the whole game as the running back? I mean, we talked about it on the PSF app. I can't imagine how hard it is to show up trying to get your wrap your mind around running the football and somewhere in the middle of the game, somebody going, hey, we're going to need you to kick. And uh, no pressure, but kickoffs and potentially extra points and field goals. I, I mean, an amazing, amazing thing done by – Dari Abungawale. I, I don't know how he was able to get his kickoff game. Like that looks like so so much harder because you really have to you really have to put all of it behind it. You know, he had this huge run up, and uh, if you if you kick it short, I want to say the second or third kick, they had a really good run back. So it's a field position. It's a huge boost on field position. So being able to kick it out of the end zone, amazing, amazing stuff. What a game! I. I I don't know where I can start. I mean, there were so many different things going on, but what a game. Dude, special teams are so incredibly important. I, I said this also on the PSF app. As someone who has coached junior peewee football, it, your special teams are guaranteed to be awful. You don't have a kid on the team who can kick the ball more than 20 yards, and so you're likely starting off with bad field position. If it wasn't for the lower quality of play at that level, it'd be a lot more detrimental. Um, I Also, it kind of reminds me of those situations where people go like, oh, well, I'm like, you know, you have to like 
find the amount of people you are away from a celebrity and they say you're like six people away from any given celebrity. So like I, I look at Dario Bungawale, who before the Damian Pierce injury is the fourth string running back. And and how, how do you he go, oh yeah, I'm the fourth string running back, but I also do kickoffs now. I'm like, that that's just a huge jump. So I appreciate what he did. I think it was a vital part of this Texans win, especially that field goal that he made. And you could tell by Frank Ross's reaction that he was stoked that he found another player on the team that could kick a field goal before the end of the game. <laughs> but I, I mean, we have to talk about CJ. It's not possible to get through. I've already mentioned him a couple of times and we haven't even really grazed the surface. So first half of the game, the team looks, it looks like it's going to be another Bobby Slowick masterclass on how to waste CJ Stroud's talent um, by play calling. I mean, obviously CJ held his own towards the end, but like early in the game, I'm saying it was kind of rocky start. We're, we're trying to run the ball. We And then I think what happened was, is that Bobby couldn't get Devin Singletary established. And he finally said, you know what, CJ, here you go. When do you think was the turning point specifically where you went, oh, Slowick's going to trust CJ to cook and, and get this win? I think it happened somewhere in the second quarter when Tampa made that that next score, and I think that I think that put them up seventeen uh, seven, and at that point it kind of like changed the game. I think I think that was where, okay, no matter how balanced we want to be, if we're going to get into this game and, and make it competitive, we really have to be our best player forward, and I think at some point CJ. I mean, CJ had been talking about it leading up to the game, how they wanted to be more explosive, how they wanted to get the ball into their hands of their 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 explosive players. And I think there was a point, I, I can't really pinpoint it. I want to say CJ took a sack that he probably shouldn't have took. He was trying to extend a play, and the switch just flipped. It came out. It, they were more decisive. I think there were, there were a better effort to get Tank Dell involved to get Nico involved, to get Noah Brown involved. And you just saw it. It was a totally different team. It, they didn't abandon the run, but they basically said, our, our, our passing offense is better than that you can stop. And we trust CJ with the ball more than we do us trying to be balanced, trying to beat you with philosophy. And, and so, as you know, last week, I caught a lot of flack for using the term regress to address CJ's performance. And I'd be, I'll be the first to admit that a lot of it had to do with play calling. And so early on in this game, watching CJ overthrow Tank Dell on that route where he broke free wide open, you saw CJ's reaction to that. There was a couple of throws like that, and I thought we were heading for it. Obviously, CJ didn't have an inaccurate game against Carolina, but he didn't have an impressive drive. And, and a lot of his production and a lot of what sparks the offense from CJ is, is pushing the ball down the field and making big plays. And so that was right before you said the spark was, you know, when Tampa went up 17 to 10, something kind of flipped in this Texans offense and they, and they made the effort to, you know, kind of lean into their strengths. But before that, I thought we were inbound for another game like the Panthers game because we were getting a lot of plays where, you know, CJ is, is really accurate. He's a really great passer. He is, is elite at a lot of things already eight games into his, his career. Um, but when he has misses on plays like that if Slowick doesn't give him any more opportunities he can't fix it and so I was worried that we were in for another game where we were just going to try and force the run and we weren't going to give CJ the opportunity to show that hey I know I missed that one throw but like I am still CJ Stroud and I can still hit those throws so it was nice to see throughout the game how I, I, I know what you're talking about because 
I saw the the flip the switch flip and that last offensive possession going into the half where they they moved down the field that that sack that he took took him out of field goal range but at that point I believe Kaimi Fairbairn was out anyways they weren't going to kick a field goal um and so that that to me that drive showed me hey maybe they can still get it going I'm hopeful for the second half and so I I agree with you that that CJ I mean I think CJ got the opportunity to turn the game around and that's I think what gave the Texans the opportunity to win the game um, and that's why CJ got the game ball because they kept feeding him. Now, do you think it's concerning? I know a lot of Texans fans will tell you like we leaned into our, our, our weaknesses or we're, we're sorry, we're focused on other teams weaknesses. We're going to try and run the ball because the Panthers can't defend it and we're not leaning into our strengths. But are you concerned that the Texans offense will become predictable and one dimensional because of this, you know, leaning into what CJ can do like 470 yards and five touchdowns doesn't happen every time a quarterback touches the field. And teams, you know, have the film on CJ. So do you think that now that teams are aware that we'll probably try and pass the ball more, that that could pigeonhole us or make the offense one-dimensional? Not at all. When you look at some of the best teams in football, when you talk about the Kansas City Chiefs, when you talk about the Cincinnati Bengals, when you talk about the Miami Dolphins, everybody in the building knows that Patrick Mahomes, Tua Tungvaluwa, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with Joe the name Burrow. right now. Joe Burrow, thank you. Are, are going to have the ball in their hands. It's 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 not a it's not a, a maybe they'll throw the ball today. No, you're going to see them throw the ball anywhere from 35 to 45 times. And yes, there will be a run game in there somewhere, but they can throw the ball 10, 15, 20 times in a row, and it may not matter. the 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 great years of who most con, most people consider the goat in Tom Brady. You knew at the end of the game, or you knew for for a good portion of the time, Tom Brady was going to be chucking. It wasn't a question. Now, whether it was to a check down, to a running back, the deep ball, whatever, that's where the gamesmanship was. And I feel like that's that's the important part for Bobby Slowick to keep this offense constantly, you know, I don't want to say evolving, but definitely get throw wrinkles in there so that teams don't pick up on what the Texans are trying to do in the passing game. But I mean, some of those teams don't run the ball very well at all. And it does not stop them from generating offense, putting points on the board. I, I'm glad that you brought up the run game. Um, I know that we always talk about Damian Pierce being your boy, Damian Pierce. He's you're, you're the president of the Damian Pierce fan club. And I, once again, I feel like I have to clarify every time I bring that up. I do like Damian Pierce. I'm a huge fan. I have a signed card of his that I bought. I spent probably more money on it than I should have because it's Damian Pierce. Um, and so with that in mind, Damian Pierce didn't play this week. The uh, run game was not great. Devin Singletary had, I think I, he ran for like eight yards in a play at, in the third quarter. And I was like, oh, wow, that was a nice long run relative to what we've seen. And then the rush stat popped up on the screen and they were like, the Texans have 18 rushing yards on the game. And I was like, ooh. That's not good. His final stat line was, I believe, 13 rushes for 26 yards, averaging two yards per carry. That's simple math. I, I did that right off the top of my head. Um, do you think a lot of the talk around the Texans is, is that this offense could be really great if the run game gets figured out because then CJ won't have to do it himself. I think there's some people that believe that becoming one-dimensional is a high risk in this current offensive scheme. Do you think that the Texans need or need to shift towards addressing running back in the offseason? Do you think that it's too late? Do you think that 
that Slowick's determination to push the run might eventually break through the ceiling and make Damian Pierce play like he did last year? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I think this the most simple thing for them to do is to fix the offensive line. When you look at the at the run blocking grades for the offensive line, it's horrible. They 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 just I, I get it. Their pass blocking grades are good. To to some of them are great, but when they cannot block for the run, it's just not. It does not matter who you draft. It does not matter who you sign in free agency. You could go put Christian McCaffrey back there, and he's still going to struggle because there's no one to block for him. So, I think this week further lets you know that that Damian Pierce is not the problem. Devin Singletary coming to this team was averaging five yards a carry before he got to Houston. Now, he didn't get the full workload, whatever the case may be. They put the ball in his hands. He made stuff happen. I don't think that changed because he changed jerseys. I think a lot of this can be fixed with work on the offensive line. Titus Howard, get him back where he belongs. Find you some guards and tackles, that are, that are just guards and a center, I guess. I'm sorry. And and figure this thing out because when they block, I think you're going to get a better run game. And I agree. Even when Jarrett Patterson was healthy, I would, oh, we always gloat about how you know he's a six-round center. He's doing really well relative to his draft position. But his run blocking grade was never super great. I believe it was actually a 37 at one point from PFF after the week that he got injured. He was not exactly doing the team any favors with his blocking in the run game. Um, and, and you saw it early in the game. The, there was a play where Devin Singletary was set to like take off. And you watch Shaq, pull, Shaq Lawson was pulling, and then you saw him cut up early and try and get someone and help. And then Devin White just shot through a wide open gap, and, to, and it went from like, oh, look, that could be like a nice 10 yard gain to like, oh, that's like minus two. Okay, well, I guess we'll start from, you know, square negative one to try and figure out how to move this offense forward. And so I agree with you. I think that a lot of people understand that. There are some people, a lot of the people that, that are down on Damian Pierce or that don't like him as a running back or are already out on that train um, are basically ignoring the lack of offensive line play and the lack of run blocking specifically um, as it pertains. Cause, and I think that a lot of people early on were like, well, CJ can play with the rush, so Damian should be able to figure it out. What they're not factoring in is that that's early season. Throughout the season, it's actually kind of evened out where CJ is playing a lot better, better with a clean pocket and he's getting higher passing block, pass blocking grades on the offensive line. So he's getting the help he needs in that regard. We need to, in turn, give you know Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary and Mike Boone the help that they need in order to succeed from the offensive line. So while the offensive line is drastically improved from last year, I do think there's room for improvement in that group, specifically in the run game. Now, I want to talk about the last drive of the game because this is is huge to me as as someone who you know I, I, we've talked a lot about the traits that make CJ elite ball placement his his ability to you know make the players around him better and just his ability to have the pocket presence necessary to step up make throws get the ball out quick you know it, everything that he does is just at a high level for where he's at as a rookie and even relative to some of the better quarterbacks in the league and so the, la the other week against Atlanta, we had a late touchdown drive, and I said that that was huge for him because that's a milestone, his ability to lead the team down the field late in the game. And then we got a real-life, like, you know, no doubt, hey, there's 45 seconds left, four points, get us a touchdown, CJ. 
do it. And he led the drive to perfection. I'll quickly recount the plays. It was a nice reception up the middle to uh, Dalton Schultz. He hurled someone, got tackled about a nine-yard gain. Then he uh, they they uh, Russia or they called a timeout. Thirty-one seconds left. Drops back, throws it up the middle to Noah Brown for about a, a twenty to twenty-yard gain or so. I want to say maybe fifteen. Um, get up to the line, clock it, and then drops back. Um, they realistically had to go to the sideline on this next play, and they did. They caught Tank Dell on an out route set up at the 15-yard line. And th that was when CJ broke the record for most passing yards in a game by a rookie quarterback set by Andrew Luck. Um, at that point, 455 yards. Drops back, next play, 10 seconds left. Takes him four seconds. Hits Tank Dell in the back of the end zone for a touchdown. This The, the drive took 40 seconds. And with those six seconds, you know, kickoff, Bucks have it, run the clock out on some weird lateral kind of like we're going to have to get a touchdown, I guess, play. And I felt like they had more uh, – they, they had better options at their disposal. That was a bad call, but we won't harp on that. CJ has done exactly what I mentioned he needed to do. It was impressive when he did it in Atlanta, even though he didn't win the game. But in this specific situation, he literally – two-minute drill, 46 seconds left, took the team down and scored a touchdown. I mean – it doesn't get more clutch. It doesn't get more elite than that. Now, one thing I'll say is, is that two quarterbacks that come to mind throughout the late 2000s, early 2010s that were the leaders in fourth quarter comebacks were Eli Manning and Tony Romo. Those were the two guys. Tony Romo had the most, Eli the second most fourth quarter comebacks between them at certain points in the late 2000s to the early 20, early, early 2010s, early to mid. Um do you think that CJ is more on the path to lead the Texans to Super Bowls like Eli did? Or do you think he's more on the path to be a great regular season quarterback? Do, is there any traits we can look at that he's doing right now that give us any indication of how he's going to be as a postseason quarterback? Or are we just going to have to wait and see? I think it's a, it's probably a little bit of both. One thing I wanted to say on the whole running game thing before we got away from that, okay. um, and I was going to let you finish, that I don't think a lot of people are talking about is the fact that they have faced elite run defenses to start this season. And if you take that into consideration, like the NFC South for all their deficiencies in the secondary, all the teams for, for the most part have great run stopping defenses, Pittsburgh, another good run stopper. So when, when we talk about the run game, some of that has to factor into Okay, it's not like they're playing a couple of the worst running teams in the league. Carolina is bad. Carolina is bad, but they've got some players. Atlanta, super good. Saints, super good. Tampa, Vita Vea, super good. So where the running game can get better, I think it's going to help when it regresses to the mean as far as the opponent. Now, to speak to the C.J. Stroud stuff, I think a lot of that is going to depend on the team they put around them. When you talk about the two guys – you know, Tony Romo, epic fourth quarter comeback guy, right? But everybody remembers him for losing all, all the games because he couldn't – it seemed like he would they would put up 50 points and they'd give up 53. You know what I mean? And they would constantly bag on Tony Romo not being clutch or, or the one turnover he had in the second quarter, even though he threw for 400 yards and three touchdowns. Where you talk about somebody like uh, – Eli who had an epic defense and they would, they would erase some of his mistakes. Now, the one thing I want to point out that is just mind boggling to me, CJ Stroud 
eight games in a career, into his career has thrown 14 touchdowns to one interception. Like that's it's insane. That that's that's MVP type stuff. Now the record won't say it, and the team isn't there yet. But if he was doing that in Miami or Buffalo or uh, Philly with those teams and their records, we'd be talking about CJ Stroud for MVP. We we've referenced it before that that the NFLs. So I was watching I, on NFL Sunday Ticket the Texans game, and there was a poll that popped up by the NFL on the page for the the Texans game. And it said, which quarterback do you think is most likely to win MVP? Brock Purdy, CJ Stroud, and insert two uh, other quarterbacks there, right? There's four options. CJ Stroud was one of them. That That's the first time I saw it. I'd already hinted at that. I'm going to count today as your first submission into the <laughs> CJ Stroud should be MVP um, train, per se. Put you, I'll put you on the bandwagon for CJ Stroud to MVP. Um, there's another big personality, Nick Wright on Twitter who who put out he said hey I think we're at that point where we have to have that discussion. <clears throat> I mean CJ Stroud is putting up MVP numbers. There's a reason that I don't feel uncomfortable saying stuff like elite and clutch when I describe his his characteristics. He is playing at a level and everyone has an off game. Everyone has a rookie game. I I've told you before I think regressed may have been a strong term to use, but against Carolina there as much as it was on the offensive game plan and poor play from other positions there was an element of CJ's game that was missing that definitely didn't help the Texans and could have been the difference between winning and losing that game. CJ will tell you that. There are people that will tell you that CJ would tell you that regardless of who we lost to him by how much, but I'm still I, he, he doesn't not mean it. He understands that as the coach on the field that it's his the winning and losing, as much as it's on D'Amico, as much as it's on Bobby Slowick, Matt Burke, any of the coaches on staff, it is on if there's one position on the field that it's on, it's on quarterback. Touches the ball every play on offense. He's coach on the field. And so regardless of if he has that much fault in a loss or not, he'll take that responsibility because he's a good leader. And I think that's a great trait, another elite characteristic of his. But that being said, I mean, I don't think you can really glean anything about how CJ is going to be in the playoffs. But you brought up the, t the building the team around him. An important dude. We I feel like we have this discussion almost every week, regardless of how good the receiving core does. And the receiving core and tight ends did really great this week. Three 100-yard receivers, but with names like Noah Brown being a leading receiver, um, you know Robert or not Robert Woods, Tank Dell and and Dalton Schultz being the other two. Um, I saw someone say it earlier. I don't want to say I agree with it, but I'll bring it up for the sake of this discussion. They said, wow, the Texans still needed a wide receiver one. They have a lot of really good wide receiver twos. Um, it sounds like me talking about the Texans running back room, honestly. But <laughs> um, but that being said, do you think there there's enough of a need at wide receiver still that the Texans need to address that in the first round? Or is it has it shifted enough in your mind that maybe it's, maybe it's O-line, maybe we need a guard? Granted, we could probably address that later in the draft. Do we need to look at the interior defensive line and shore that up. Are there other needs that are more pressing? Because I, I've told you this before. I think that Nico Collins is great. And I think he can make a really great wide receiver too. To whoever we pick up as wide receiver one. Um, I think that Tank Dell is a really great slot guy. I think he's a deep threat. You can put him outside and send him deep. You can do whatever you want with Tank Dell. Those two guys are for sure pieces moving forward. But do you think that the need at wide receiver one is still deep enough? That that's what we address in the draft this year? 
I think it depends entirely on what you think makes an elite team. If, if you look at the way some of these guys jumped, like if you look at uh, Tua when he got Tyreek Hill, huge jump, you know, in production, wins, all of it. When you look at Jalen Hurts, he gets A.J. Brown, huge jump. Like when those guys are paired with an elite receiver, they put up elite numbers. But then you can look at other other examples where an elite receiver wasn't required. Yes, when when they got their hands on one, look at Tom Brady. Name name five elite receivers that Tom Brady had. Would they be elite receivers on other teams? There's only one that I know for sure, and that's Randy Moss. Yeah, of course. Julian Edelman, probably not. I don't know. It just depends if they use him the same way. I mean, he looks like Hunter Renfro all over again. And I know I'm playing the, the, the white guy thing. Danny Amendola had decent seasons for the Rams. Exactly, exactly. And that's the thing. Tom Brady was able to take basically whatever you gave him, tight end, wide receiver, whatever, and make them good. Now, CJ, with as elite as and accurate as he is, can do that with this receiving core. So it's really going to be interesting to see what Nick and D'Amico feel they need in that regard. They may come to camp next year with everybody and re-sign Noah Brown and go, let's do it all over again. Nico's the one, Tank's the 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 1A, uh, Noah's on the other side. We still have Mechie, we still have Hutch that we can filter in as we need to and maybe draft another tight end. I don't know. I think tight end is is a, a probably, I would almost venture to say tight end's more of a need than wide receiver. Not tight end one, per se, as long as Dalton Schultz stays, but tight end is, is a position that has been riddled with injuries, has not has not quite performed at, at depth as well as I would have hoped. Um, I, I'll say this, personally, I, I as someone who has always valued the trenches super highly, it's like quarterback and then your, in, your D and offensive linemen are like vital to the success of a team, in my opinion. And so we haven't talked a lot about the defense in this episode. I'd love to get into that. Personally, my answer is interior defensive line. I, I think that's the move. I don't think that the need at wide receiver is severe enough to address it in this draft. If they do, it'd be a very Bengals-esque move to say, you know what, our offensive line might not be the best, but if Stroud's got the targets, he's going to hit them. And then you got Joe Burrow being like, I, you know, screw it. I think you know Jamar's probably down there somewhere. I'll just throw it up. And it worked. It got him to a Super Bowl. It didn't win them the Super Bowl, but it got him there. Um, but to speak to the defense, I mean, they gave up 30... Uh, 34 points, right? They gave up 34 points. Um, I it felt like once our safeties went out, we lost MJ Stewart, lost Jimmy Jimmy Ward. That that's been huge for me. I've I've said it before that Jimmy Ward being in the game is huge for the Texans. It affects the defense heavily. Um, I mean, how do you think the defense did? If you were to grade their performance today, do you think that they? I mean, they did enough, obviously, because CJ. I don't want to say CJ bailed them out, but I mean, CJ did enough to give us enough points that the defense's effort was enough for us to win. If you follow my logic there, but how would you grade the defense's performance today? I, I, I would grade them probably at a C. And if I'm being honest, it's really not fair to go even further than that because of how banged up they got in game and how banged up they were going into the game. They lost Hassan Ridgeway. They lost Jimmy Ward. They lost uh, Jake Hanson. Yeah, 
Hanson, MJ Stewart. I mean, they they had guys running off the side, and then Kaimi on top of that. Just it seemed like every play somebody was getting hurt. Uh, they're already without Derek Stingley Jr. They're already without um, who else am I missing? There's another corner, I believe. They're they're just already nicked up already. So when you think about all the injuries, it's really hard to have 54 and be able to go to the third, fourth guy at every spot and have somebody be serviceable. It's, it's and there great was a if couple of plays it. where it was practice squad guys or guys that are recently signed onto the team that were playing DB that were in the game because of injuries that made mistakes that that cost us a lot of yards. Um, there was also, if you look at the end of the game, could have iced it instead of having that you know incredible CJ Stroud drive to end the game. Um, they had the pass that was fumbled and then recovered by Mike Evans um, that should have been recovered by the Texans. There was like three separate Texans there, and for some reason it didn't end up being recovered. One of the players involved in that play that didn't recover it was a DB that we had literally just signed from the Bears practice squad or from our practice. I don't even know where he where he is or how by way of when he came to the Texans, but. <laughs> Um, but there was a lot of mistakes at, at phases of the game that it felt like it was being affected by the not not by the fact that there was a lower skill level per se, but a lower um, you, you know there, a lower uh, ability to perform well enough to like not do commit stupid penalties and like you know get into positions where you you give I, I it's probably just lower experience level I right I, you 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 were, this was a nice way to say a lower skill level I was like I'm trying to be nice I don't want to I don't want to say like you were inexperienced and got shoved into the game I mean and the the Buccaneers got affected by that you know Dean their corner got taken out of the game and and that was the play where the Texans the the miss to Tank Dell was them testing that and I think that while it was a bad play in terms of CJ overthrowing Tank. Um, was a great turning point in the game because it was that when the Texans kind of poked and prodded and said, oh, okay, it's like in Django when you find the piece that's like, oh, this one will pop out. Okay, yeah, I, I'll get on to the next turn. Yeah, cool. And you keep po poking out the blocks until finally it's Tampa Bay's turn and the, the tower falls. So, I mean, I love a good Jenga reference, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I using Jenga for a metaphor here? I don't know. But to speak to the defense, I think that, for all that happened, I agree with you. The the injuries and everything that was going on around the defense, they rallied and they and they played the way they needed to. I mean, did you hear the story, right? So it, usually it's the defense the other way that's the, been tossed around that defensive players go up to CJ and they're like, hey, we got you here. We're going to go out on the field and we're going to take care of business and you know cover you. And so um, after that failure to recover that fumble and kind of what happened, CJ went up to Grenard and was like, hey, I got you. And then he went out there and did it and took care of business. So, I mean, I, I love the team dynamic. I think that we get caught up in, oh, is the defense good? Is the offense good, right? But what I think is most important about bringing in D'Amico Ryans as head coach for this team is the culture. And I, I know people are traumatized and have PTSD from the use of the word culture to describe anything. It's up there with, you know, next man up mentality, culture, you know, all, that, all those terms scream Patriot way, which is another PTSD episode inducing term uh but at the end of the day those are things that are important it's just they're only made fun of or like hated when they don't work and so cj or sorry not cj cj's part of it i think cj as a quarterback is a great pick for the culture of this team because of who he is as a person and i don't i and i don't think that bryce young would have been bad for this culture i think he would have been just as good because they are both 
very similar in the way that they carry on as leaders. And that is very important to the culture of the locker room. So the acceptance of CJ so quickly, and you know that, that's part of D'Amico promoting a culture that acknowledged that CJ Stroud, while young, was ready to be a leader in this culture. So it's not about experience. It's not about you know who's been in the locker room the longest. It's about who's ready to lead and step up and win a freaking game. So, I mean, I, I'm hyped for this team. I'm hyped for the culture. Do you have anything to say about the culture? Do you think that I'm like using this term and you're, you're, you're like, I'm triggered. Ah, no, no, no. The best teams have that, that culture. Like, like you speak to it. Some people call it a vibe. Some people call it, you know, just an, an aura about them. However you want to describe it. You know, when, when guys start playing for one another, when guys legitimately care about one another and they, they're, they're all like-minded in a similar goal, much like the Astros are the way the way everybody talks about inside the locker room. The Texans are trying to build that. And when you have that, you get performances like you get today, like you got today, where a guy just just has a, an amazing rapport with, with, with the guys around him, and they go out and do special stuff. So Tank, CJ, it's not been a secret. These guys have been close and interconnected since the draft, and they spoke – so highly of each other, thought so much of each other. So they were just always going to perform better together. And you just feel like they want so bad for the other one to succeed that they do a little bit more for them. And and that's not to say that CJ or Tank's not doing it for everybody else, but you just see that, that chemistry. And that's what makes it so incredibly infectious. You see other guys feed off of it and it just levels up everybody's play. So when you have that locker room like that, and that's what I really think D'Amico's trying to build, because you hear him talk, speak in those terms all the time. When you have people really just fighting for one another all the time, you get games like you got today. Uh, that that game is not won by a Texan team in the last three, four, maybe five years. Just doesn't happen. It, the the, the resiliency is not there. The 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 clutch genes not there. And and this team is starting to put that together. And you're seeing it by the way they, they talk about each other, by the way they, they come to work, all, all of those things. Yeah, and, and last thing I'll say, and we'll get final thoughts on this here recap of the uh, victory Monday against the Buccaneers. But last thing I'll say is, is that a fun fact I saw on Twitter today, the Texans won three games last year, and they won four games each of the two previous seasons. So they have now matched their win total for each of the last three seasons, and we're eight weeks in. So they're, the, the ceiling, they, they can really they're, – they're sticking at that point where they're at 500 and they're like, are we going to move above that or not? And I think it's very possible next week's going to be difficult with the matchup against the Bengals. But, you know, who knows? Shock the world. They're not the same Bengals team that we've seen over the past three years. I think they're getting closer to it as the season moves on. But, you know, definitely there's potential there for the Texans to get a win next week. And we'll talk about that on Friday if you want to tune into the bullpen. Additionally. Actually, I'll let you get your final thoughts in, Tom, before I before I start promoting the podcast for the future. So, yeah, for any me, final thoughts on this victory? For me, I can't be more proud to be a Texan fan. It is a great, great day to be a Texan fan. There's the future so bright; you can just see it from the top down. I think that they're they're building something really special, and they've got a bunch of young guys, a bunch of young studs that are going to grow up together. And and there, there are some teams that did some very, very impressive things. 
that had similar setups where you had young guys in key positions that all grew up together and that team just slowly became a, a, a juggernaut in the league. And I feel like this team can do that. Uh, I can't wait for Sunday. Everybody's everybody's counting out the Texans uh, against Cincy since he's playing uh, uh, or playing better football as of late. But uh, I, I I want the barometers now. I want to see how they measure up. I can't wait to see them play Miami again. I can't wait to see them play Kansas City again. I want to see them play the best teams and see where they stack up to see how big the gap is because I don't think it's as big as the national media would let you to believe. Oh, I don't think so either. And I, I love how you said that you're so proud of the team. It reminded me of that moment where CJ in an interview was like, you know, I, that's not going to fly with me. I went, when you walk around with Texas, I want you to walk around with Texan gear pride like we do when we win. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm all about it. Do you like, uh, by the way, my last thought is, did you hear in, in the post-game interview, he subtly snuck in, it's an on to Cincinnati. He said on to Cincinnati. And I was like, oh, well, I like the subtle Bill Belichick reference there because we can't seem to get away from the Patriot way, even from our new quarterback. It's just hitting right there. It is truly on to Cincinnati. And you'll hear about that. Like I said on Friday, um, we have special guests coming on on Wednesday on a live stream for the podcast. And it'll be available on the podcast feed after for those of you that listen that way. Um, our special friend from Canada, we're going to ask him how he became a Texans fan living in Canada. There, that seems to be a trend. I know at least three separate Texans fans that are in Canada. So we'll find out what he's, uh, what's wants to talk about with the uh, Texans. And uh, yeah, uh, we're on the PSF app. So you can catch us there. Covered the game today. Mostly Tom. I was there too. Um, and that's a great way that app is is revolutionary it's going to revolutionize how people consume sports so if you're a huge fan and you want a forum where you can talk to fellow texans fans it's a great place to be download the app today and get into the texans chat room um i am n1 texans fan on social media and that's also what you can search up if you want to find the bullpen on youtube um tom where where can they find you at on twitter because i don't believe in the x it will always be the little bird for me. I will always tweet. I will not be Xing anything. I am at Third Coast Tom, all spelled out. And uh, that is the best place to find me. Uh, I'm definitely on the PSF app. Third Coast Tom on there as well. Hop into the, the texting chat. It is not just a football thing. If you're into baseball, they've got the Strohs. The, the, the basketball's got the Rockets. If you're, if you, fan other cities there are media casters pretty much for everything right about now hockey's not there yet but i think that's coming too that is going to be a place where you can get into a forum talking to people about sports for anything when it's all said and done it's a really great place i i invite you to come check it out and and just go in a different chat room see what you like and uh but but come back to the texans venture out obviously, but come back to the texans obviously come back to the texans chat room all right, y'all. Well, I have been James Roy. This has been Tom. Thanks for listening. Vamos, Texans. And uh, yeah, we'll see them in Cincinnati, I guess. It's on to Cincinnati now, so we'll talk about that on Friday.